0: All right, so this is what we do. I I could talk about Salt Company for a long time, but I'd rather just show you. So Luke chapter nine, verses 18 through 20 is where we're at. We're gonna spend the next six weeks looking at the I am statements of Jesus, where Jesus says, hey, this is who I am. Uh, But first, uh, before we maybe have questions for him, he actually has a question for us in in the text today. So we're gonna see that. But before we go too far into it, I, I just have a question real quick for you. I wonder... I wonder if you've ever been wrong about somebody. <laughs> I wonder if you, okay, I see. like, I feel like just honest heads shaking, yeah. Like, I, it's not a trick question, guys. It's a human one. Like, I wonder if you've ever been wrong about somebody. Like, maybe you've been wrong about somebody this, this week. Maybe the person that you've been wrong about is actually sitting next to you. Maybe they're gonna be like your best friend or your boyfriend or your girlfriend in like a couple months, like whatever. Um, but but I, I just wonder if you've ever been wrong about someone. I um I had that happen apparently. Okay, cool. I uh <laughs> I, um, I had a buddy, Dakota, when I was a sophomore in college at the University of South Florida, and he was a freshman. I met him uh, at a gathering a lot like this, Thursday night, eight o'clock at our college ministry, and we became friends. And if you saw Dakota, you know what I mean when I say this, but he was a soccer player that looked like he fought people for money. Like this dude was built, like this dude was, he's kind of intimidating and scary looking a little bit to be perfectly honest with you. And so I looked at him and I thought, awesome. I've got a gym buddy. Like I was like 130 pounds, soaking wet, like five foot ten and a quarter. Um, and sorry, and um, and we were we became friends uh by going to the gym. But one night, uh, my friend Dakota asked me the question that solidified our friendship forever. He looked at me and he said, "Rudy, do you want to go to Taco Bell?" To which I said, absolutely, yes, I do. We went to Taco Bell and his Toyota uh, just, he told me to add this detail, blaring Drake from his 12-inch subs. He just said, it'll humanize you. No, Um, so we're we're ripping it, going through. uh, This is back when beefy five-layer burritos were 99 cents. So we get way too much food, okay? Way too much food and just talk and hang out into the night. And here's what I found out about Dakota. I found out that I was wrong about him. Like he wasn't just some like gym meathead dude that like fought people for money. Like he was a, a really humble and ambitious guy. He was a great hang. He loved Jesus. He loved people. He's brilliant. He's an occupational therapist right now. And he's just a dear friend. We were texting this week and and I'm just so glad that I was wrong about Dakota. Does that make sense? Like, like I was wrong about him and I'm glad that I was wrong about him because who he turned out to be is actually better than who I thought that he was. So I wonder if you've ever been wrong about someone, right? You get to experience the joy as you get to know them of learning that who they are is actually better than, than who, you, who you think. The, the question we're kind of going after in our text tonight plays right off of that. Like, do you know who Jesus is? And I don't mean, can you like give an academic answer or whatever, like regurgitate something you've heard, but like, do you know who Jesus is? This is the question that lives at the heart of Christianity, right at the middle of it. Do you know who he is? If you mess up who he is, then Christianity becomes something other than he actually intended for it to be because he's very clear in the text. He's very clear about who he is and he's what makes Christianity what it is. So the simple question is this, do you know who Jesus is? And perhaps, if you don't actually know who he is and you formed an opinion about him, could it be possible that you're wrong, that you're wrong about who Jesus is? That that would actually put you right along with a number of people in the text that we're in tonight. Uh, we're gonna hop right into it. Luke chapter nine, verses 18 and 19. They'll be on the screens, um, but we believe that if the word doesn't do the work, then the work won't get done. So keep up with me, Luke chapter nine, verse 18. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, Who do the crowd say that I am? And he answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets of old that has risen. Okay. Is Family Feud still a thing for, for you guys? Okay, I'm yeah, I'm seeing like a couple of heads shaking. I saw some heads shake no earlier, and I was confused. Like the YouTube algorithm goes bonkers for me. I get like I am getting Family Feud stuff all the time. I get that Steve Harvey is like the goat or whatever, like he's doing everything right now. But can we just, I'm just gonna work this out. I I don't like Family Feud right now because I'm getting like Terry Bradshaw and his adult children or like Marvel characters. And I just miss when it was like the Hartmans and the Coles to see who's actually better, right? Like, sorry, okay, I'm just working my own. Okay, here's what's happening in, in this text. Uh, in Luke chapter nine, what, what we stumble into is sort of a family feud Jesus edition, right? Like Jesus asks the disciples a question. He asks these people that follow him a question. And he's like, who do the crowds say that I am? And, and then the disciples come through and they're like, well, Jesus, we surveyed a hundred Jewish men and women in the region. And we put the top three answers up on the board. Who, who is Jesus? John the Baptist. Ding. They think you're John the Baptist. Elijah, ding, one of the prophets, which is like that answer when the answer on the board is food and someone says broccoli and you're like, what? Like that could be anything. Like that, that's just like that answer that could be anything. All three of those are just answers that are surveyed responses of who Jesus is. Survey says, this is who you are. A couple things kind of rise to the top from this. First, we see that people then had really strong opinions about who Jesus was and their opinion actually had very little to do with who he actually was and everything to do with who he wanted them to be. People who said that he was John the Baptist wanted Jesus to be the one to take them out of the big scary world. Like the people that said that he was Elijah were the ones that said, Jesus, speak truth to power just like Elijah did to Ahab and Jezebel. Speak to the government, tell them what to do. The people who said that he was just one of the other prophets was the one, they were saying, Jesus, take us back to when our nation was in control, when everything was good and we were out from under the oppression of Rome. They all saw Jesus through the lens of what they wanted him to be. And in so doing, Jesus actually ceased to be who he was and instead became a means to an end for them and their agenda, a tool to be used. The thing is that people actually still have opinions on who they think Jesus is. He's some good teacher, nothing more. He's a person to study, but not a savior to worship. He's a nice idea. He's your good vibe daddy in the sky or whatever new age crap you wanna throw out. Like, but he's not the king of the cosmos, okay? Some people are convinced he's a Republican. Others are convinced he's a Democrat. Have fun, um, right? Right? People have opinions about who Jesus is and these opinions often reveal what they worship or what they think is most important in life. They impose meaning on Jesus and make him something that he's actually not. This becomes the lens through which Jesus is scrutinized, the box that he's shoved into. It sounds a whole lot like when someone says, well, my Jesus says this or my Jesus would never say that. These opinions are strong And what we see in the text is that they're actually wrong. These strong opinions of Jesus are wrong. He's not John the Baptist. He's not Elijah. He's not just some prophet. Those people had come and gone, but Jesus was categorically different than all of them. They formed an opinion about Jesus without knowing who he was. They were wrong. And it's such good news that they were wrong because who he is is actually better than who they thought that he was. And instead of Jesus saying that directly to the disciples, he actually decides instead uh, to do what a skillful teacher would do, which is what Jesus was. He was a very skillful teacher. He gave his disciples a chance to answer that for him. Luke chapter nine, verse 20. This is the question Jesus asks them and tonight that he's asking us. Okay, that's who they say I am. Who do you say that I am? I'm from Florida, so let me dip into my uh, southern bag and give you a Greek lesson all at once. That word, hey, that's great. That word, you, right there, who do you say that I am? That is not second person singular, that's second person plural. He's addressing this question to the group of disciples. He's saying, hey, yeah, you took the survey, that's who they say that I am, but what about you guys? Y- who've, you, you've been following, you, you've been with me. Who do y'all say that I am? Peter speaks up for the group and he says, you are the Christ of God. Some of your translations, if you're reading this in the Bible or on your phone, might say you are God's Messiah. There's no error here, Messiah and Christ, same word, two languages. Here's the answer to our question. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the Christ of God. The text kind of continues on and Jesus affirms this, that's who he is. Not every answer was correct, but this one is. He is the Christ. And that's an answer that leaves us with the question, what does that actually mean? Like, what does it mean that he's the Christ? Well, it was helpful to unpack this by understanding that Christ wasn't like a, a last name, it was a title, right? He wasn't Mr. Christ, his dad wasn't Joseph Christ, like that's not what was going on here. It, it simply meant anointed one or, or one who had been set apart. But again, that's an answer that leaves us with a question. What does that actually mean? What was he set apart for? We can spend hours here. The entirety of the Old Testament, actually the first two thirds of the Bible is actually looking towards this Christ who would come and answering that question. This is the one they'd been waiting for, longing for for centuries. So let me say it simply. Jesus being the Christ means at least two things. It means that he is the savior who will free us from our sin and he's the king who leads us into life with God. He's the savior who frees and he's the king who leads. All of that is contained in Peter's short answer. Jesus is the Christ. He was the savior and the king that they'd been waiting for. And we're honest, he's the savior and the king that actually every single human being has been waiting for. And that sentence actually might uh, raise some objections for you. So let me me come through for just a minute. You just might be out here and say, all right, Rudy, that's cool, but I don't actually think that I need a savior. And if that's you, like, I wonder if you don't realize how many places you're looking for one already. That whenever you go to something for relief from the brokenness that you experience in this world and in your own life, the shame, the guilt, the anxiety, the stress, the pain, the worry, the hurt, anything, when you run to something for relief, you are functionally asking that thing to save you. And that makes sense. We all look for something to pull us out of the pain of the brokenness that's around us. And if we're honest, that's within us. And the Bible calls that brokenness sin. Sin entered our reality through the actions of Adam and Eve and it affects all of humanity, no exceptions. Sin creates separation, separation between us and and others and separation between us and God. It breaks things and broken things have sharp edges. So we have a tendency to cut one another and to break away from God himself. Our sin causes us to run away from life and to reject God. And the only way that our sin can take us then is towards death and eternal separation from God. So Jesus comes fully God to save us fully man to reach us and he gets on a cross to take on himself the death that you and I deserve for our sin he takes our sin and death on himself he forgives us but he doesn't just die he rises again three days later this resurrection gives us right standing with God forever we share in the life that Jesus has risen into we are freed from our sin through our his death and resurrection as surely as he was raised to eternal life is as surely as every Christian is righteous and as surely as he was raised to eternal life is as sure as every Christian will rise to eternal life one day with him as well. Apart from Christ, our state in our sin is desperate, it is helpless, and it is seemingly hopeless, and it creates in us a longing to be free, to be saved. It is a present longing to be free of this brokenness that actually points towards an eternal salvation that we need and that Jesus provides. So honestly, it makes sense that you look for places to find relief, you look for places to find freedom, you look for things to save you from the brokenness of life and effects of sin, because you weren't meant to live in that way. You were meant to live free from your sin. You were created for wholeness with God, not brokenness with sin. Just the problem is that often we don't run to Christ, but we run to cotton candy, something that never fills us and leaves us sicker than when we started. What we go to for relief, it's just not the real thing. It doesn't actually save you. It might numb you for a moment, but shortly after you find yourself right back where you used to be. That's a weak savior. Don't waste your time with them. It reveals that ultimately in every place, person, substance, entertainment, food, drink, or whatever you want run to to find relief, to find freedom, to find salvation, you're actually looking for Jesus who will truly save you and will truly free you from your brokenness and your sin. He is a savior who frees us from our sin. And he's a king who leads us into life with God. You might have the same question. Rudy, I don't think that I need a king to lead me maybe you don't realize how many kings you already turn to in your life to follow. Like it or not, everybody follows something and what you follow most closely is what your king is. Here's how you can know what your king is. How do you decide what to do? (laughs) How do you determine what's right or what's wrong? When someone does something that you don't want them to do, how do you respond and where did that response come from? Where do you feel safest, most protected? Where do you feel like you are actually secure and belong? The answers to those questions will reveal what your king actually is. What you follow closest, what forms you most fully, that's what your king is. That's what you look to for protection, for purpose, for life, for belonging, for security. And, and other things or people that try to lead us often do so to get something from us. Jesus, on the other hand, gives. He needs nothing from you. His relationship with you is not out of need, it's out of love. He leads you because he loves you and he wants you to walk in the purpose and plan that God has for you so that you might actually be who you were meant to be. Growth and relationship with God, freedom from sin, meaning in life, resilience from struggle, strength for today, hope for tomorrow, following the way of Jesus as the king who leads us into life with God. He he doesn't just take away our sin give us life through his resurrection and assurance for life after death and then dip out and say y'all figure it out on your own that wouldn't be good no he saves you and then he stays with you to lead you into the life that he died and rose again to give you for you to move towards peace purpose assurance belonging mission as you follow him as king following jesus as king is the surest way to not waste your life Now hear me, it does not mean that everything is easy all the time, but it does mean that nothing is meaningless. It doesn't mean that there is never pain or difficulty or struggle or suffering or shocking things that come across your plate. But it does mean that in that pain, in that difficulty, in that struggle, in that suffering, in those real things of life, that you're not alone. And he's there to lead you as your good king. Jesus is the Christ. He is the savior who frees us from our sin and the king who leads us into life with God. And when asked this deeply intimate and exposing question, who do you say that I am? This is the answer. You are the Christ. You are the savior. You are the king. Salt Company, if you put your trust in Jesus and you make him your treasure, he'll be your savior and he'll be your king. You can be free from your sin and be led into life with God from Jesus tonight. The question you might have is, okay, Rudy, you want me to trust him? You want me to put my trust and my faith in him? Whatever that, that, that looks like. You want me to trust in him as savior and as king, as Christ? Well, what kind of a savior is he? What kind of a king is he? Those are valid questions that we should get answers to. And we actually get our answers to those questions by looking at a moment in the life of the guy who answered Jesus's original question, Peter. You see, Peter answers that Jesus is the Christ in our text, but he experiences it firsthand, what it means for Jesus to be savior and king just a little bit later. There's this moment in the life of Peter that's marked by two fires. The, the first fire is on the night that Jesus is put on trial. He's unjustly uh, condemned and is unjustly sentenced to be crucified, to be killed on a cross. Before this, Peter has told Jesus that he would die with him if it was necessary. And Jesus like just looks over at him and he's like, homie, you ain't gonna die with me. You're gonna deny me. No, 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 not at all. Yeah, you are. And it's around that first fire as one of the other people around it asks him and says, hey, Peter, didn't we see you with Jesus? And Peter's like, no, 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 couldn't be me. And then a little girl asks Peter, Hey, didn't, didn't I see, don't you sound like, like, aren't you with Jesus? And he's like, that's not me. then they ask him again, Hey, aren't you with Jesus? We saw you with Jesus. And Peter says, I don't know the man, Peter, who claimed that Jesus is the Christ, the savior, the king that they'd be waiting for denies Jesus. In fact, recordings of that story, uh, share that after he denies him the third time, that Jesus weeps bitterly because he realizes that not only has he sinned in denying Jesus, but he feels the shame of what he has done in denying the one that he called the Christ. And then Jesus dies on the cross. Three days later Jesus rises from the grave, but in those three days the disciples have gone back to what they always did before. So carrying the reality that he's denied Jesus, carrying the shame of what he's done, Peter's out on the boat fishing the next morning and as he's fishing, he looks uh, he looks away, he looks down the, the, to the shore and, and he sees someone on the shore and someone cries out, that's the Savior, that's Jesus, It's Jesus by another fire. And this is the, the second fire on the shore with Jesus. The the word, it's so interesting. The word used here for these two fires is only found in these two places in the New Testament. And it's intended to draw our minds to connect these two moments together. What's going to happen at this second fire will answer what happened to Peter at the first fire it's meant to connect these. In the second fire, we see Jesus resurrected, waiting for them to share a meal with them. And Peter, racked with guilt and shame, doesn't wait for the boat to get to the shore. No, it says he puts on his robes, he jumps into the water and he swims to shore, soaking wet, gets out of the water and sits with Jesus. And Jesus and Peter have this incredible interaction where Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? And Jesus And Peter says, oh Lord, yeah, I love you. And then Jesus again says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, oh, I love you. And then he says it again, Peter, do you love me? And and, and Peter, sad, says, Lord, you know that I love you. Three denials of Jesus are met with three confessions of love for Jesus. Right there at that fire, Jesus is restoring Peter. And all Peter had to do was come to Jesus. Peter's the most honest man in the world at this moment as he sits with Jesus. He sees his sin and his shame and he knows that he needs Jesus. So he comes honest and needy and Jesus deals with Peter's sin of denial and the shame of his sin. It's all taken from him by Jesus in this moment. He's forgiven of his sin and he's led out of his shame. Peter is restored by Jesus. And in experiencing this forgiveness and freedom firsthand, Peter experiences what he claimed Jesus to be. He experiences Jesus as the Christ. I'm just gonna take a moment here. This isn't, the thing that I'm most nervous about on a street like this or a gathering like this, anytime that I get into one, is that you could give me the right answer about who Jesus is. You could give me an educated response if I ask you the question, who is Jesus? But you've not had an experience where it's moved from an answer that you give to a way that you live. That that it's actually just something that you've heard from other people, but you it's it's like he's oh yeah, he's the savior, he's the king, he, he he's the Christ, but he's not you wouldn't say, but he's my savior, but he's my king, but he, he's 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 my Christ. You haven't had a moment where you said, I need Jesus to save me, to lead me, to be my savior and king. I want to know him as Christ. And I, I actually hope that as you look at Peter's moment here, that it can be your own experience because it's in this response of Peter that we see our answers to the question, what's he like as a savior and what's he like as a king? What kind of savior is Jesus? Jesus is a gracious one. If he was a savior who demanded that you earn your way to him, then Peter is royally screwed. He has no shot, no chance. He denied Jesus not once, but three times. If it's about earning or performing your way to Jesus, then Peter is finished and so are the rest of us. Jesus as Savior is not some perk that you unlock after hours of good deeds or good works. He is a gracious Savior who gives us what we do not and cannot deserve when we come to Him. If you think that following Jesus is about your performance or or you pretending like you're okay, that you have to earn your way to Him, Peter would be the first one to stand up and tell you that you were wrong, that that's not who He is. And it's such good news that you're wrong because it's better that He is a gracious Savior who gives us what we could not deserve on our own and what he purchased for us through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. He's a gracious savior and he's a full savior. There's an intentionality to what Jesus does. For every denial, Jesus covers it with an invitation to confession. Jesus is showing that he's not some halfway savior. He doesn't get you a part of the way there and then you gotta figure it out on your own. He saves to the fullest. He does it all, he covers every piece and parcel. He saves us from sin that we didn't even know we had in our lives. Jesus saves Peter from his sin by fully forgiving him, fully freeing him, fully accepting him, fully restoring him. And if he did that for Peter, I'm telling you, he'll do it for you. He's done that for me. And he's done that for so many that are on this street tonight. 13 years ago, I learned who he was. In high school, I was like the bad guy jock in a made-for-TV movie, like, I, like, like used uh, substances, used women, was generally disregarded other people, was incredibly selfish, all of it. In December of 2009, I was arrested. And it was a wake-up call, and I prayed a very simple prayer, Jesus, help. <laughs> it was all that I had, and it's what he did. I unexpectedly found myself in a community of followers of Jesus. They were patient with me. They answered my questions. They helped me come to a point where I was actually able to confess in in July of 2010 and put my faith in Jesus, that he was my gracious and full Savior. That's the kind of Savior that he is. What kind of king is he? He's a strong king. He doesn't mess about or push aside the weight of Peter's sin and shame. He doesn't look away or apathetically avoid it. For Jesus to lead Peter out of his sin and his shame, he has to directly address it. He comes right through. Jesus does not, in the words of the theologian, Taylor Allison Swift, put a Band-Aid on a bullet hole, right? Like, Like he does surgery. He goes down deep, right to that place where Peter is, right to the messiest spot of Peter. Jesus is strong enough not only to meet him there, but to handle all of his sin and all of his shame from his denial. Salt Company, there is no sin that Jesus is too weak to meet you in, save you from, or lead you out of. There is no shame that he cannot handle, free you from, and lead you out of. He is a strong king. Whatever you've done, wherever you're at, it's not too much for him. He's strong enough to save you, and he's strong enough to lead you into an experience of life with him now and into eternity. He's strong but he's also gentle. Just look at, Jesus doesn't shame Peter. He draws Peter out. Peter has done what we all must do. He came to Jesus, not with pride or arrogance or self-righteousness. He doesn't come saying, I'm good enough. Time to save me, Jesus. Peter comes to Jesus the way that we all must, humble, honest, vulnerable, and needy. Peter swims to shore, exhausted physically from the sin, exhausted emotionally by his shame, exhausted spiritually by his sin. He shows up with Jesus, drenched, soaking wet, a mess with nothing to offer Jesus except for his sin and shame in his hands. He sits down next to him at the fire and Jesus turns to him, not with anger, not with rage, not with judgment, not with shame, but with strength and gentleness. He draws Peter out. He forgives and frees him as he He restores him. And as we come to him, salt company, he saves and restores us in the same way. I have had so many experiences with Jesus knowing that he's strong and gentle and few have been as powerful as these last three weeks as I've walked through the most significant personal pain and loss that I and my wife, Molly, have ever experienced in our life. And he has been with us in this deep, raw pain. And we have learned again and again what we already knew, that Jesus Christ, the the King that we follow is strong and gentle. He's gracious and full as your savior. He's strong and gentle as King. Jesus is the Christ. So I don't know all of you on the street tonight I don't know what you've done. I don't know what sin or shame or whatever brokenness you carry in. What I do know is that there's no one so far from God that he can't save them. And there's nobody that's so good that they don't need saving. If Peter can be freed and forgiven, then so can you. And if Peter needs to be freed and forgiven, then so do you. So who do you say that he is? No one can answer that question for you. You have to answer it. And Peter's answer can be yours. Your answer can be that he's the Christ, the Savior, the King. In fact, it could be he's my Christ, my Savior, my King. And as you come to know him more and more, you'll learn that he's even better than you thought he was. So no matter where you're at on this street, you can come to Christ tonight. Forgiveness and freedom can be yours as you come to trust in Jesus, who is the Christ. So I'm gonna invite Jenna to come on up Um we're gonna do something that we do at the end of every Salt Company. I'm just gonna give you a little bit of space to respond. Um, so I'd love just to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes for a moment of focus and concentration. Hear me, no one's gonna come to you. No one's gonna do anything to you. Uh, we're not gonna do, have you respond publicly in any way, but I do wanna give you a moment to just privately respond. So just for focus and concentration, you can just take a moment right where you are. You could close your eyes, you could bow your heads and you could just focus just here for just a moment. Two groups of people I wanna speak to. First, if you're a Christian, I'm so, if you're not a Christian, sorry, I'm so glad that you're here. And I need you to see this. Jesus shows us through Peter that there is no need for you to prove or perform to get to him. You do not earn your way to God. He is too gracious for you to have to perform your way towards him. He's too good of a king to actually entertain You're uh, pretending he's a gracious and full savior. Jesus has earned for us all that we need to have eternal life with him. It starts by knowing who he is. And it's as simple as just showing up like Peter tonight, drenched with sin and shame in your hands and just sitting with Jesus, bringing your sin to him and saying in the most honest, vulnerable, needy way, Jesus, I need you to save me. Do not wait to clean yourself up, just come as you are. You can trust in him as the Christ right now. Trust that he died to forgive you of your sin and that he rose so that you might know eternal life with him forever. You can bring your sin and shame to him and ask him to save you and you will be saved. Life with God can be yours tonight, right here on State Street, now and for eternity as you trust in him as the Christ. He will free you, forgive you, restore you. He's the Christ, that's what he does. You can come to him. And if you're a Christian, maybe you need to respond like this. I'm so glad that you're here, but I want this reminder of who Jesus is to set the tone of this year for you. This year, I want you to own your answer to Jesus's question. Who do you say that I am? If you say that he's the Christ, that he's your savior, that he's your king, I've got great news for you. This campus is just waiting for women and men who follow Jesus to bring the good news of the gospel to it, to live that gospel, to speak that gospel, to build a community shaped by that gospel, to seek justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbors here on this campus as you love yourself, to share the gospel in your life It's good and for the glory of God. And hear me, that will not happen if you are more concerned with performing and pretending and trying to look like a follower of Jesus than actually being one. You will get nothing on this campus for playing church. So own your answer. Christian, if you say that he is the Christ, the savior, the king, then follow him. Follow him when it's easy. Follow him when it's beautiful. Follow him when it's good. Follow him when it's joyful. But follow him when it costs you. Follow him. When it's hard, follow him together in a connection group. Follow him even if you have moments where you deny him. Like Peter, don't let your shame take you away from him. Instead, bring your sin and shame to him at the fire again and watch him restore, forgive, and free you again. So how do you need to respond? You need to say, Jesus, I need you, save me, lead me. Jesus, help me to own my answer to this question this year. Jesus, we um, we come tonight needing you. Um, God, don't let us be so prideful or so put together or so experienced or so whatever that we would never lose that simple reality that we need you. Oh, we need you every hour, we need you. So Jesus, help us to see you for who you are as the Christ. Help us to see you, to remember you as a savior, to confess you as a savior to remember that you're a king, to confess that you're the king. and Ultimately, Jesus, we ask that this year you would help us own the answer to that question. Jesus, that you're the savior. You're the king. You're our savior. You're our king. You are the Christ. We love you. And it's in your name that we pray.